0: Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in today. Today's guest is someone who was living a totally regular life with no health issues and suddenly started experiencing crazy symptoms and was ultimately diagnosed with POTS. Ashley Weiss's life has been turned upside down over the last three years, including putting off her wedding. So I decided it was important to talk to her about this experience and what she's been going through. So, welcome, Ashley Weiss.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So
0: happy to have
1: you here. So tell us a little
0: bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do.
1: So as you said, my name is Ashley Weiss, and I am a integrative health coach and came upon this journey after being diagnosed with something called POTS.
0: Got it, and where are you from?
1: Uh, I am from Washington, D.C.
0: Ah, nice.
1: Yeah, originally from North Carolina, moved to D.C. eight years ago, and currently still in DC.
0: Got it. And so Ashley actually came to me through one of her best friends from childhood, who was my graphic designer for many, many years. Shout out to Ron Lee. Yeah, big fan of hers. And she's been a huge advocate of the show. So want to give her that shout out. So let's dive right in. Tell us the events that led to your diagnosis of POTS. I know it was definitely a wild one.
1: Yeah, it was definitely interesting. I, uh, up until I was about 27, so three years ago, my life was totally normal. (laughs) I, you know, never got sick a lot and, you know, was just had a normal childhood, everything like that. And then May of 2016, my now husband proposed and um, he <laughs> spent the summer studying for the bar exam. So needless to say, I was planning a wedding those first couple of months on my own. And uh, we had decided to take a trip to Barcelona and to London that August to celebrate our engagement and to celebrate him being done with the bar, which I'm sure you can imagine was a much needed celebration. So when we got to Spain, I had had somewhat of a bad head cold. And I thought that it was just, you know, a mix of having really bad jet lag with the head cold. And I was so exhausted, like an exhaustion that you can't even like comprehend. I was
0: nothing you'd ever experienced. Nothing
1: I had ever experienced. So I was just But I really thought it was just like jet lag and that I was kind of sick. So just with like a viral infection. And so I was dizzy all the time. I was lightheaded. I was nauseous beyond belief. And the third day that we were there, we were taking a um, gondola ride over top of some water. And we were going from one part to a different part onto like a top of a mountain. And I am standing in line and it is hot. Like it's hot in August. Well, really everywhere, <laughs> but it was really, <laughs> it was really hot in Spain in August. And I'm standing there in line and I'm having to like sit periodically throughout standing in line because I just didn't have the energy to stand up. And we are getting into this gondola and I felt like I was going to pass out once we reached the where we were going once the gondola ride was over and I had fainted like maybe a couple times as a child so I knew what that sensation felt like. I looked over at my fiance at the time and I said, you know, I'm going to pass out and he was like, "Okay, well let's make it to that bench over there that's literally a step away." Well, I grabbed his hand and The next thing I knew, I woke up on a bench with him saying my name over and over again and some Spanish speaking people talking into my face. And I was just, I was so confused and I was, you know, in a foreign country and I, you know, didn't know if I was okay and we had to somehow get down the mountain and we had a doctor come to the hotel and checked me out and he said everything was fine
0: Did you have other symptoms at this point? Like once you came to it, were there other things going on?
1: Not that I was aware of. They had given me orange juice and nuts and things to kind of like bring my blood sugar stable. And so by the time the doctor had checked me out, you know, all my levels were actually kind of high because I had had so much um, sugar. So, you know, for a long time, I had thought that I maybe had, Hypoglycemia because my mom has struggled with it for many years. And so that's why I thought maybe that's why I fainted. Maybe my blood sugar was low. So I kind of just rested for like a day and then kind of tried to keep going and it never got better. And we reached London maybe two days after that. And I ended up having a fever and Everything just kind of got worse. So I saw a doctor there. He took a bunch of blood tests and ended up telling me that I just had a viral infection. And it would go away in two weeks and I'd be fine. Well, it didn't.
0: Did you believe that?
1: No, I didn't. I, I mean, part of me was kind of relieved, like, okay, it's just a virus. But then once we got back to D.C., and things didn't get better, I was like, No, something really isn't right. Like, I know this isn't just a virus. And throughout my diagnosis, I really kept having to like, tell myself that because I went to a bunch of different doctors who told me I was fine. And I mean, you know, yourself, you know, your body better than anybody. And I just had to keep telling myself, like, No, something's not right. Something's not right. So
0: it's a wild thing when you go to different doctors or even healers, and they're sort of saying, no, you're good. It's like this short term thing, you'll be fine. And you're like, no, I really know my body. I mean, as you're saying this, I'm picturing the time when I had to have surgery. And prior to that, the doctor saying, all right, your x ray and your blood work looks good. And I'm like, "Yeah, no there's still something not right. Like keep testing. Exactly.
1: And that's kind of where I was at. You know, when I first got back from Spain, I went to a, an infectious disease doctor because I thought, you know, maybe I picked something up over there. You you never know. So I thought maybe I had Lyme disease or something and all my blood work came back normal. And, you know, he was like, I see a lot worse patients in here than you can even imagine. And you look like a young, healthy girl. And I was like, but something's not right. Look like being the keywords. Exactly, exactly. Just because I might look healthy and vibrant and whatever. That doesn't mean that everything is okay. I am dying on the inside. And it's not just anxiety. (laughs) So what happened from there? So from there, um, I saw a couple more doctors. I saw an ENT. I thought I might have had vertigo because my dizziness was pretty bad. And, you know, I didn't. And so they ran a bunch of tests. And he actually came back and said, you know, we ran a test that said, you've had mono at some point in your life. So maybe you just have mono. And I was like, okay, so maybe that's my answer. So for like a week or two, I thought, okay, I just have mono. Like I can deal with this. You know, it'll take a month or so and I'll get over it. Well, that also was not the case. (laughs) So I do think that the viral event that I happened to have had when we went to Spain was probably a mono type virus of some kind. But it wasn't until I went to a internist who spent probably two hours with me going over everything. And she was like, no, you don't have mono. Like, that's not adding up for me. She laid me down and checked my blood pressure and heart rate lying, sitting, and standing. And she said, you know, this looks like something called POTS and I want to send you to a cardiologist. So when you hear those words as a young woman in your 20s that you need to go to a cardiologist, like that's pretty alarming. And it kind of scared me a little bit. I was anxious because I was like, okay, maybe really now we have a diagnosis. But I was also really pretty scared because I was like, if I have to go to a cardiologist, like what does that mean? Um, as a young twenty-something-year-old who has been relatively healthy her whole life, so I ended up going. Did you immediately take action on that? I did, yeah. And I ended up taking a leave of absence from work. I was working full time in a marketing role in commercial real estate, so my job was pretty demanding. Um, I had to, you know, be on at all times. There were times that I had to go to site visits and plan events and kind of like be on my feet and set up and take down. And I just like, I couldn't keep up. I mean, I was really struggling. I I mean, I was dying and I just, I needed to spend all my focus and all my energy on trying to figure out what was going on. And I couldn't do that while having the anxiety of just trying to get to work and to be at work and to worry like, you know, what's wrong with me? What's going on with me? Why can't I keep up? And it just wasn't normal. And so that's what I had to do in order to figure all of this out.
0: So you take a leave of absence, you go to this cardiologist, and what do they say?
1: So I went to one cardiologist who kind of put me on too much medication. He told me that I had something called autonomic dysfunction, which is the deregulation of the autonomic nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system basically controls everything in your body, from heart rate to blood pressure to gastrointestinal issues, um, to body temperature, I mean, literally everything. And that was kind of where we started. And he put me on blood pressure medication, he put me on um, a couple different other medications. And after a while, I just wasn't seeing the kind of results that like, I still wasn't feeling well. And he had told me within, you know, like a month or two that I'd start to feel better. And that still wasn't happening. And at this point, I was feeling pretty defeated. And it wasn't until probably eight months after my diagnosis that I uh, ended up going to Duke and seeing a Cardiologist there who is a syncope and POTS specialist. And she was used to seeing, you know, patients like this. And so she was like, you know, first of all, you're on too much medication. And let's kind of, you know, take it from here and see what we can do to help you. And she was actually the first person who told me it is not wise to have your wedding in June. And that was something that was really hard to hear. And I remember just like sobbing. And I just didn't know where I went from there. You know, it was supposed to be like the best time in my life. And it was all going downhill, every single last part of it.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things where you got confirmation that this thing was taking over your life. Exactly. And that this wasn't some minor thing where like they talked about the mono at the beginning of, okay, you'll be good after a month, take these drugs and move on with your life. You had already gone on medical leave. And here you were saying you can't get married in X months because you're not well enough and you need to monitor your health. So how do you navigate what that was like, and especially your relationship with your then fiance.
1: Yeah, so it was really difficult. He was the best support system I could probably have ever asked for. You know, that's not to say that we didn't have our challenges, as illness presents many challenges, not just for the person that is going through it, but for the caretaker and all the things that it does to one's relationship. Um, You know, the life that we once had was gone. So it was really a struggle. But he stayed by me the whole time. And he, you know, at one point was literally having to make breakfast, lunch and dinner for me. He was having to pack my lunch for work. I mean, I was basically like a child, like I, I literally couldn't I didn't have the energy or stamina to do anything for myself. I mean, I couldn't walk from the couch to the bathroom without help. I couldn't make it. Like, it just wasn't possible. So, I really had to lean on him, and he didn't show any signs of, you know, fleeing or being scared, or, you know, he just kept saying, We're in this together. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to get through this. And that, you know, to hear that, it was a huge comfort for me. And it also took a huge weight off my shoulders. You know, he didn't have to stay. We weren't married yet. So it was a huge relief that this person who, you know, before we even said for better or worse, was sticking by me. And we were already going through our worst. and knowing that he wasn't going to be going anywhere and that he was going to be there through thick and thin and through the bad times was really, really, really an amazing thing to experience. And, you know, I ended up going back to work for six months part time. And once that summer of 2017 came, my body had just like, it gave out. I couldn't go to work anymore. And my parents decided to come to DC, and my doctor said, You know, why don't you come home, come to Duke, we'll do a couple more tests, not to see if it's something else, but there's a specific test called the tilt table test that technically is what cardiologists or neurologists, if you see a neurologist for your POTS diagnosis, uh, use to see if you ultimately have POTS. And she decided that that was something that I needed to do because nobody had actually diagnosed me with full-on POTS yet. POTS is part of a larger umbrella called dysautonomia, which, like I said earlier, is the deregulation of the autonomic nervous system. And POTS is just one of the subsets under dysautonomia that one can have. Um, Got it. So my doctor felt like I was moving into... The POTS phase, and for those of you that don't know, POTS <laughs> is the whole name is kind of a tongue twister, but it's called a uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So my doctor wanted me to come home and do that test along with a stress test. So I was then going to have to leave my fiance for what I thought was two weeks and go home with my parents and live at home for two weeks while we took these tests and tried to figure it out. So that was really, really, really hard because I wasn't sure when I was coming back. I wasn't sure if it meant something more serious. And we were kind of like in this in-between phase. So I ended up having to stay in the hospital for four days during that time period of testing. And that first tilt table test was probably the worst test I've ever had in my entire life. It was the most traumatic experience, I think, other than Spain <laughs> that I had had. And for those of you that have never been through any kind of tilt table testing. Um, i would yeah,
0: never even heard about it until yeah, talking
1: to you. a lot of people haven't. So you get strapped to a table. You're hooked up to a lot of different monitors. You have IVs running through you, and they bring the table upright. So, as if you are just standing normally, but you're strapped to the table. And they want to see what happens when you go from lying to standing and just being upright, because a lot of what POTS means is upon standing, your heart rate jumps 30 plus beats per minute, just doing nothing, just simply being upright, which can obviously cause a lot of issues, including fainting, including gastrointestinal issues, including temperature deregulation, pupil dilation, Uh, the list literally goes on and on and on. So that's what they did. And every you know couple minutes, they would ask me, you know, what are your symptoms? Rate them from one to ten. And things just kind of started to fail. Um, I was sweating profusely. My feet started to go numb. And within a couple of minutes, they put my hand in ice water for sixty seconds. And what that does is that just tests kind of how your body reacts to extreme temperature changes. And within about a couple of minutes, everything was failing. My heart rate got up to 150 and my blood pressure dropped and eventually everything dropped. And I fainted and my heart stopped for 13 seconds. I woke up, I really wasn't sure of what had happened. And the doctor came over to me and she explained, you know, you passed out, and your heart stopped for 13 seconds. And when you hear something like that, it's really scary. It's kind of life altering, because you're not sure if this is going to be something that's permanent. You don't know if this is something that's going to Um, affect the rest of your life you don't know if it's going to go away she explained to me that she was going to have to put a heart monitor into my chest and she asked me what does your wedding dress look like at that moment Mm -hmm. I just I mean tears just kind of like started streaming down my face and she was like I want to make sure that wherever we put this monitor, it's not going to be seen when you are wearing your wedding dress. And I don't know, the fact that she took the time to think about that really meant a lot to me. And you were human. You weren't some exactly, experiment. Exactly. I was a human being who, you know, was supposed to be Getting married and you know living out the best time of my life, and she took the time to recognize that, and it really made a big difference in me being able to trust her. And I think that that was really important.
0: What did these tests tell you going forward? Because you had more than one tilt table test.
1: I did. So i I actually had to. Have another one the next day. Oh
0: my God. Yeah.
1: So, and as they were bringing me in the next day, the nurse literally told me, We never do this back to back. And I was like, Well, thank you. That makes me feel so great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, once they strapped me in again, I just had nothing left. I mean, I, I literally had no fight in me, I had nothing. You know, my legs felt like they were gonna fall out from under me. Um, my doctor had explained the day before that doing a tilt table test is like running a marathon. And so I was essentially running two marathons, having two tilt table tests back to back. And my body just I-, I felt like I was being put through torture and I even said to her the day before, please don't torture me again. Don't make me do another one. And she said she would think about it. And turns out she needed to do another one in order to test the beta blocker that she wanted me to ultimately go on and that I would be on for however long I needed to be on it. So I ended up doing another one the next day. The same thing happened, but my heart rate didn't stop as long as it did the first day. And that, to her, was a victory. (laughs) So I ended up going home the next day, and my fiance, Stephen, ended up coming to Greensboro which is where my parents live. And I ended up having to live at home for five months. That was five months away from Steven. That was five months away from, you know, everything that I was doing in DC. It was like I was a child living at home again. And as you can imagine, that was really difficult because, you know, it was as if my parents were taking care of a child And so it was as if I was being treated like a child. I mean, I literally couldn't do anything on my own. My mom was doing everything for me. So that was a really challenging time. But it was also a time that I needed. I mean, I was fortunate enough that my parents were willing to step up and to say, you know, hey, our daughter needs our help. And we have to do this. And we're not going to let her fail. So I I was really, really, really grateful for them to be able to take care of me in that kind of a way. And, you know, they went through their own grieving process just as I was going through my own grieving process of my old self. And it was really hard on everybody involved. Um, I, I remember looking up at the stairs because my bedroom was on the second floor. And I remember looking up the stairs and thinking, will I ever be able to walk up the stairs again on my own and not have to go on my butt? (laughs) And that was also just like a wake-up call, um, a reality check. And I eventually did make it up those stairs (laughs) on um, my own, but it took a really long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, five months of relying on your parents and being away from your fiance and not walking down the aisle at the time that you thought is a huge life change. When you know, less than a year prior, you were perfectly fine and living your exactly. life. So, when was it that you moved back to DC?
1: Um, I moved back to DC December 2017, and I ended up having to stop working. And so my fiance, Stephen, and my parents were fully supporting me. And, you know, it was a big adjustment to have to rely on them for everything. And I ended up incorporating a exercise routine because I was told that exercise um, is really important with POTS even though it's kind of like an oxymoron because you're so exhausted and you have zero energy that how can you possibly exercise? But I literally took it one day at a time. Um, And I've been doing one day at a time ever since. So I started with five minutes on the recumbent bike and I have worked my way up to 30 minutes and have incorporated, you know, light strength training in order to build my body back up. And I have not done it without the help of my POTS trainer, Beth, who has been the most amazing part of my recovery thus far. Without her, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today physically. She's just been a huge help to me. And, you know, she even in the beginning was helping me go to the grocery store because that in and of itself was exercise because I couldn't stand long enough in the lines to make it through. So I had a lot of anxiety surrounding everything I did because I wasn't sure if I was going to feel well enough to do anything, especially, you know, social things. I was nervous that, You know, I was going to have to commit to things. And if I had to cancel, I wasn't sure how people were going to take it. So it has really changed everything in my life. Um, I'm a different person today than I was three years ago. And, you know, I see a therapist because I, for me, that was really important to be able to talk to somebody who is unbiased and really figure out how to grieve my old self, and how to accept this new life that I, you know, have not been used to and how to navigate my relationship with Stephen, And, you know, ultimately, when we decided to get married, um, which was in April of 2018, we decided that the big wedding wasn't going to be something that we were able to do. And I finally had come to terms with that. And at that point, all that mattered was that we were going to be together forever. And it didn't matter, you know, that we had this large wedding and with all the things that, you know, which is fine. Everybody has a different story. But this was our story. And this is what we needed to do in order to get married. And we decided that we were going to have you know 20 members of our closest family members and we made it as beautiful as possible and my rabbi married us and it was probably the most intimate wedding that either of us had ever been to and it was one of the most special ceremonies that I think either of us will will never forget it and we will both cherish it forever and you know, I I practiced doing my husband and wife dance with my trainer, Beth, um, for 60 seconds because that was something that was really important to me. I wanted to be able to have my dance with Steven and my father-daughter dance with my dad. And I practiced every day, 60 seconds at a time so that I could do that. And I just hope that, you know, anybody that's hearing this that is – Struggling with a chronic illness and is trying to get married and is hoping to get married. I hope that you don't give up on anything, um, and that's not even just with marriage. That's really just with anything. Every day is a huge, huge struggle, but it's so important to listen to your body and to let yourself grieve. But to just take one day at a time. And that's kind of my mantra that I've been sticking to since day one is one day at a time.
0: Yeah. And I think the big thing here, the big lesson is that you have to do it your way. Exactly. And you have this big wedding concept planned and maybe a vision for it for however long. But you get to this point where you're like, that's not really realistic in this life that I'm living anymore. And I got to do it a different way. And it'll still be special and even more special in some way. And to your point, the big thing here is that you are together and that you're in this relationship with someone who is committed to being with you, given what you're going through. And that's all that matters. That's huge. It's huge. It sounds like you sort of gave him opportunities to be out and that wasn't even an option to him. So You being together as a couple is really the thing here. And it also really sounds like you realized that you had to take control over your health, which is a big thing that we talk about on the show here of just recognizing what you're in control of, what you leave to the doctors and where you need to sort of say, okay, this is what I need to do for me in order to get to a certain point. And with that, you started a business called Wellness with Weiss. Can you talk a little bit about where that came from, and what made you do that?
1: Yeah. So because of everything that has happened to me, I got really interested in everything health-related and mostly integrative health. I got really into nutrition. I got really into just taking the time to listen to your body and to really practice self love and self nurturing. And I ended up taking a online um, integrative nutrition course at the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And they are actually based out of New York. And they offer an online course. And it's a year long course. And I was able to, you know, really learn how to help myself, but also how to help others. And I really took that and ran with it and became extremely passionate about trying to um, help others with chronic illness, because no one should have to suffer and no one should have to suffer alone. And that's kind of my biggest thing is that what chronic illness robs from you is life and you feel so alone a lot of the time. And, you know, this business that I created has really helped me try to help others um, who are also struggling and just let them know that they're not alone and that, you know, we can figure this out together and, what they're feeling and how to process those types of things and how they can better themselves by themselves and that they know the answers. It's just trying to figure it out with a little bit of help. And that does take some time, but you can figure it out and it will happen.
0: So are the people that you're working with all people who have POTS or chronic illnesses? I mean, who's your target demographic?
1: So not all of my clients have POTS. I do have a few who do have POTS, but my target audience really is the chronic illness community and really trying to help those people who are suffering try to figure out where they go from here.
0: Got it. And so how do you manage your own symptoms these days? Obviously, like fitness and wellness being a huge part of it. Yeah. But are you seeing some of those same doctors at Duke or in D.C.? What's that look like for you?
1: Yeah. So how I manage my illness now is, you know, I still have my trainer that comes twice a week. And, you know, we're still working on things and building things up. And when I have a bad day, we modify and things like that. And I have also incorporated Pilates, um, which is more of a PT-based Pilates. My Pilates teacher is well-versed with POTS and hypermobility spectrum disorders, which I also happen to have. So what does that mean? So hypermobility spectrum disorder is the mobility and elasticity of your joints. So this has a range of symptoms and can be severe or very mild. And a lot of people with POTS happen to have these types of things. So it's important, especially for exercise, That you're not stretching and things like that, because you can easily pull things out of sockets and things like that. So, you have to be really, really, really careful when exercising. And this is just something else that I have incorporated into my routine in order to help keep my body strong and specifically my core, because in order for me to be able to stand for periods of time, My core and my muscles have to be really strong because of things like blood pooling and in order to not pass out. (laughs) So that's something that I've incorporated. I also see a therapist because with chronic illness comes a lot of anxiety and depression, which is not so surprising. Um, a lot of people with POTS often get diagnosed with having or misdiagnosed, I guess I should say, with anxiety. And for me, it's like, of course you have anxiety. Why wouldn't you have anxiety a lot with having POTS or any kind of chronic illness? <laughs> Your whole life has been turned upside down and you're dealing with doctor's appointments and you're dealing with how to get from one day to the next. And who wouldn't have anxiety or depression? Yeah. <laughs> you know
0: absolutely. Are you still on medication or medication for anxiety and depression?
1: I am. Yes. I'm on medication for both. I'm on medication for helping to stable my blood pressure and my heart rate. You know, I'm hoping that it's not a lifelong thing, but for right now, it's helping me. And, you know, I've always been somebody that was really scared of medication and I I'm not, you know, ragging on medication by any means. If people need medication to get from one day to the next, you know, that's what you need. But for me, it's also been about incorporating some of those more holistic things in addition to the medications like um, meditation, for example, and biofeedback that has been really helpful for me in order to get from one day to the next.
0: And are all of these different wellness-related things, things that you sought out on your own? Yes. No doctor told you to check it out or told you to see a therapist or try a meditation. No.
1: You know, all the medications, yes, were things that doctors had told me to try or to take. But anything else, you know, related to wellness, that was all... Um, I spent a lot of time researching and a lot of time just figuring out what I personally needed and felt like I needed in order to survive.
0: What's it like to not know whether you'll be managing your illness for life or for five years or for 20 years? It sounds like that's sort of unknown. So what's it like knowing that?
1: Yeah, so when I first got diagnosed, I was told POTS or dysautonomia can have a lifespan of one to five years or more. And so I never really got a straight answer. And unfortunately, there just isn't enough research out there to know any of this. And there's currently no cure. So, yes, I'm taking all these medications that um, oftentimes a lot of POTS people take, but they're not a cure it's really just something to manage and stabilize symptoms. So being told that there's no way of knowing if you're going to have this for a year or five years or 10 years or 20, it's really scary because you can't help but think about your future and think about, you know, well, what if I want children? And how am I going to work? And how am I going to you know, go through my life and have this illness? Like, how do I marry the two? And what does my life look like? And oftentimes that's really difficult to think about. And it has taken a lot of time and a lot of self-reflection for me to be able to think about these things. And I'm still working on it. And for me, it's, I try not to think so far ahead into the future, because for me, it's just not healthy. For me, it's been really important, like I said, to kind of take one step at a time, meaning one day at a time, and try to have small goals that ultimately get me to a bigger goal. And my life looks different now than it did three years ago, five years ago, even one year ago. So I've really had to work very hard to figure out how to live my life and have a chronic illness, but it doesn't mean that your life is over or that you can't do the things that you once wanted to do. It's just going to look a little bit different, but you can still do a lot of other things.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So what are those kind of things that bring like happiness and joy into your life?
1: Yeah. So like I said, I've really found a passion in wellness with Weiss. Um, It's also allowed me to meet a lot of people that I wouldn't otherwise have met. And it's really opened me up socially, I feel like, since chronic illness has a way of you know, keeping you very secluded. And I have really found joy in, you know, sticking to those people who, you know, are interested in my journey and are interested in what I'm doing, and that have really been there for me through the whole thing. And spending time with those people and doing new things, you know, like, I've had to find new activities to uh, enjoy and that's also been challenging but at the same time really interesting because it's made me kind of open myself up into new areas that I didn't think about before. Um, I also spend a lot of time with my three-year-old, and four-month-old nieces. And I love those children (laughs) like they are my own. They bring me so much joy, especially on a bad day. If I'm having a bad day and I am with them, there's something about kids that just lights you up. So that's been really helpful for me too, is spending time with family. And I'm lucky that my husband's family lives um, in D.C., And they've been a huge support system to me as well and kind of taken over as my parents, uh, since my parents don't live here. And that's been something that's been really helpful for me. I've also gotten really into reading. Um, I'd love to start a book club. (laughs) And yeah, so just really enjoying different things day to day while managing My health. Um, I've also gotten extremely into cooking. Cooking has been something that surprised me, to be honest. I was not somebody who grew up loving to cook. I was actually relatively horrible at it. (laughs) (laughs) And I have taken a new love and passion in cooking. And I actually hope to one day be able to start my own line of plant based balls that you can add to different dishes. So that's currently something that I am actually working on.
0: I love that. There's so many good things there. The kid thing I totally, totally relate to. When I was in the hospital a few weeks ago, my best friend and I were texting and she was checking in on me and I was like, can you just send me photos of the kids and videos? I just (laughs) need to know what's going on because I know they'll bring a smile to my face. Exactly. And it really makes such a huge impact. And I love that you have these small and big goals of things that you want to achieve that I hope you do get to achieve, you know, whether it's this year or years to come, but they're all things that sound pretty feasible and I hope you get them. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about this. This has been quite the journey that you've been on and certainly not easy, but I love that you share about it. Through your business and on Instagram, which is sort of how we connected, and through Ron Lee. But how can people learn more about you, your health, and Wellness with Weiss?
1: So, to learn more about Wellness with Weiss, uh, you can go to www.wellnesswithweiss.com, and there you'll find information about me and about my health coaching, about different recipes that I post, about different wellness things that I post, and that is where you will learn all about wellness with Weiss.
0: Love that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com, follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram, Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.